Hi everyone and welcome to another podcast um, of the Human and Machine show. Podcast show, I suppose it is. It feels like it is, Lenny. Um, this is our second one. We, we're very excited for all the support we've received. Um, we, we had lots of comments and suggestions. Thank you for that. Um, if you missed last week, we spoke with uh, Brown Fenter, who is with Advances, the Integrated Advances, who shared some really, really quality insights in terms of how they have been operating and how they have been uh, just doing business and, and delivering the kind of value and support that their customers expect during this time of, of, of lockdown and COVID. So really good insights by Brown last week. Um, so if you missed that podcast, make sure that you listen to that one. Uh, the Human and Machine podcast is, of course, where, where my, uh, I and uh, my co-host Lenny, we talk about all things uh, industrial tech uh, and manufacturing, specifically from a South African perspective, uh, as well as some global trends that we're seeing and hopefully hopefully helping you make sense of what is available out there and how you can improve and how you can uh, just get better better understanding of how the world of tech is shaping um the industry uh, as it is with with manufacturing and, and mining as well so with me is of course lenny co-host lenny how are you doing good in you I can good yeah. yeah quite i'm interested for today's topic i think it's it's one of these topics that's also close to my heart uh the topic about the notion of information uh, we live in an age where information i think is everything and not just from our social aspects but also from in, in our case from the manufacturing environment um, and it's very interesting to see how information can play a pivotal role in our manufacturing sites and environments that we have here so i'm very very pleased about this session that we're going to have today definitely there's almost a notion that information is a current currency exactly and, uh, yeah that's a very very apt topic at the moment and i think especially with with the guest that we have with us today is is really uh, someone that that started a business a tech startup i suppose you can call it i'm not sure what the term is but uh started a business on on the topic of information how we how we collate that how we gather that and how do we present that so yeah who do we have well i'm very pleased to introduce uh, graham welton the md of flow software now flow software is a software development house um, and they've got a pro product they call the flow information platform uh, and the platform is really geared to consolidate and contextualize all of these different silos of information that we can find on a, especially in a manufacturing environment. And I think one thing that, that, that we've seen is that data in a manufacturing environment is quite specialized. It's a huge amount of data that's been generated by machines and even by, by people and by different systems on a manufacturing environment. And how do you just make how do you collate all of that? How do you make that information available for everybody? And how do you make actionable sense of that data? So at the end of the day that you can actually make better decisions on actually operating your manufacturing facility. And that's that's what the Flow Platform does. It's a great tool. It's um, it, it helps us to actually understand and mine this magnitude of data that sits on a manufacturing environments to make sense of it all. And actually, at the end of the day, it's all about return on investment. You spend uh, millions of rands on machines. Uh, to actually run your manufacturing environment, but is it actually doing what it's supposed to? And, and this is a great platform to actually help us to do that. So without further ado, uh, Graham, welcome. Thanks a lot yeah. for joining us. Well, thank you very much for having me, guys. Yeah, so, nice to have you. It's nice to see you as well. We, we've, spoken, uh, we've spoken over the, over the past few weeks, but we, we haven't really seen each other. Um, and it feels like a, it's a privilege to be able to just sit together. Absolutely. Uh, especially during this time. But thank you for, for uh, accepting to, to join us for some conversation. It, it's, a, 
very, very um, relevant topic at the moment, especially where, where people are having to do so much more with so much less um, in a number of ways. So very relevant topic, but I think it's also very fascinating to me that I really want to get into a little bit more with you is start a business, um, create a technology, productize it. Um, all of that is, is obviously very possible. And, and South Africa has had some really good examples in, uh, over the past years of tech startups, some, some really phenomenal businesses that have come out of South Africa. But talk us through that a little bit. I mean, that's not, a, that's not something you, you just decide overnight. We're going we're gonna to create a product, start a business and develop it in South Africa. What was that like? Absolutely. So, well, well, first of all, thank you for having me. Great, great to, to be on your show. Um, uh, and thank you, Lenny, for the introduction. Yeah, so it goes back a number of years. It goes back probably to um, the mid 2020, the 20s, 2000s. <laughs> I think it's 2000s, yeah. <laughs> the noughties. <laughs> the noughties, exactly. So, Roughly 15 years ago, I was still working at South African breweries. Um, my role was very much in the process control space. Uh, got quite involved in the batching processes with standards like S88. Um, and what I what I started seeing from my internal customers as a as an internal service provider, started seeing how much they relied on information. And I became, as, as the leader of the department, um, responsible to provide that data in a way that they could actually make use of it. They could make informed decisions out of that data. And so it became a process of understanding how to convert that process control information or data, that batching data. First of all, transforming the data. And secondly, then being able to visualize the data in a way that they could they could use it. Mm. And, and so it started all the way back then. Um, I then I then left breweries uh, in around 2008, I think it was 2008, um, and joined a, a system integrator company um, where I was able to use a lot of my process control, my batching knowledge. But I always had in the back of my mind the, the, the need for this data to information transformation. Mm. Um, and, and through the years, the early years of working with the system integrator and working with other customers. So now I'm outside of the breweries environment. Yeah. Now I'm working with many customers <clears throat> and I saw the same problems, yeah. exactly the same uh, problem that needed to be solved by all of these customers. Uh, and so it kind of kept on nurturing this idea okay. that we need to do something. We need to create something that's going to serve all of those customers. And obviously at the time, I mean, it, it, it's no different to what it's like today. There were, there were obviously just a multitude of existing kind of solutions available out there that to some extent did provide some capability and functionality, but obviously not in terms of the vision that you had. Mm. To that, to that extent, obviously prompting the you know let's create something based on the vision that we have. Yeah, exactly, and I, I think we saw a multitude of reporting tools. Yeah, uh, Crystal Reports, um, Microsoft Reporting Services, tools that can be used to 
attach to the raw data and create some kind of visualization. Mm. And we actually saw an opportunity to, to turn that around a little bit. Um, and I think that was where Flow was born because a very big part of what Flow is, what the Flow information platform is, it's not so much about the visualization. Yes, that's important. Mm. But what is more fundamental is the transformation of the raw data mm. into something that is structured, that's uh, contextualized, collated into um, a, a consolidated repository. Mm. And that is your single version of the truth. And yeah. that's what's, what's actually the foundation of what Flow is. Um, and we didn't see many products on the market that were doing that. Not, not in our space. Yeah, not in the manufacturing space. I mean, data is one thing or information is one thing. And there's, I mean, information is in way different industries. Yeah. Um, and I think, Graham, with your process knowledge and your experience in the manufacturing environment, that actually helped you to guide to make this tool available for, you know, an hour industry where we see a lot of manufacturing data. And we actually now understand manufacturing data. And the tool is very geared to to very simple and easily turn manufacturing data into quality information, which is yeah. which is a difficult concept. It's not a it's not as plain simple as you can think. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And that yeah. and that I mean I mean that information today I mean that's such a cr crucial piece for the entire supply chain. So many decisions are made based on that data. So the better mm -hmm. that data and the better the context with that data, the better your supply chain ultimately. Exactly, uh, and, and that's become more and more important. And I think to add to that, it's also the different levels within an organization. You know, if you're at the coal face, you are making decisions on a minutely, hourly basis. Yeah. And if you're in the boardroom, at the other end of the scale, you're potentially making decisions weekly, monthly, a much bigger time frames, time yeah. buckets. Yeah. So, from from the boardroom all the way down to the coal face. We're looking at aggregated data. We're not looking at the real-time data right now, not for, for the most part. Uh, certainly, to steer an organization, to steer the ship, you're not looking at real-time data. You're actually looking at trends. You're looking at aggregated data. You're looking at calculated KPIs. So to add to your point is it's different levels in an organization, but it's also different time periods, different um, intervals that decisions need to be made. And, and that's where Flow was built from, from the start. It was built with those different time intervals as, as core foundation to the product. Yeah. So um, I want to get back a little bit to the starting of a, of, a, of a business, I suppose. So good process background, good understanding of the needs and the requirements, clear vision that's a little bit different to let's start a business and let's develop a product that that, that was probably yeah. quite a quite a quite a daunting task to to undertake it was it was and i think um any any young entrepreneurs out there the one biggest piece of advice i would give them is to make sure you've got a good partner or set of partners because i was very fortunate that i had the the, the partners in my business to be able to bounce ideas off, to be able to validate these ideas and to, to buy into the vision and then work together towards actually delivering that. So in a way, I think I've been so lucky that I've had that, that it wasn't such a big deal 
when we actually started Flow Software. Because we had that backing, we had like-minded um, uh, thoughts and strategies around starting up a business. Um, but yes, it took a long time. You know, it was it was a product that we we built a version one of, which was pretty basic. Had the had uh, the foundation functionality built, but it was difficult to get it out. Yeah, uh, we started with one customer. Luckily, that customer grew it to multiple sites. Yes, um, and we realized quite quickly that we weren't going to be able to get out there and sell it and market it ourselves. Mm. We were a bunch of engineers, mm. had very little knowledge of of selling something and marketing something. Yeah. Um, and, and so we we were lucky we with this one customer, which then grew into two customers that then grew into three customers. We kind of had three customers that were demanding the product and they were demanding the growth of the product. We used that demand to actually convince another company to take it on and to, to basically outsource the selling and the marketing of the tool for us. And that left us to focus on the product and developing a good, solid product. The core focus, yeah. The core focus. And, and that's how you get your adoption curve. Yeah. Exactly. And, I'm, and I must say, and, and, and we, we started with this model fairly quickly, probably within about a year or two of starting Flow. Um, and we approached Wonderware Southern Africa at the time. Uh, their name has changed subsequently. Um, but the team there, guys like Michael Plastria, um, Dion van Aert, Ernst van Beek, um, those guys embraced Flow and what it meant. And they also identified that it filled a gap within their product offering, hmm. um, which, which they are slowly closing that gap. Um, but at the time, they embraced it. And they were yeah. absolutely fundamentally important mm -hmm. in the growth of Flow. Mm -hmm. And I'm so grateful for that. Um, yeah, so it, it's, it's taken a long time. It's not like it happened overnight. I mean, we're eight, <laughs> eight years plus yeah. down, nine years down. And, you know, we're yeah. still, we're still yeah. pushing hard. So it's an overnight success that took eight years. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what, what is that? I'm, I'm keen, Lenny. I know you're a very, uh, very keen, I don't want to call you a developer. Maybe that'll box you. But, but uh, what does that look like in terms of, I don't know, what language selection platform? Uh, where do you find developers? Where do you find talent? Where do you find people that, that can help you build this vision? Because, you know, you can't do that on your own. Absolutely not. You need a very, a very good, solid team of people to work on that. Where, where do you find those people? I wouldn't know where to start. Yeah, I think I think one thing is is quite key to understand is there's a lot of developers, right? If we now take the developer space, there's a lot of guys that actually developed uh, that can develop you a software platform and you know get get the product rolling. But I think one key thing in, in this case is it's not just the developer; it's actually someone that also understands the manufacturing environment that we play in, the type of data and the type of, you know, instruments and tech that sits in our industrial space. Uh, you need to understand that. You need to understand what this different types of machinery, you know, generate from a data perspective. Mm. You need to understand the, the protocols. You need to understand that. And it's, mm. and I think that skill is a special. This, the skill of a developer plus the knowledge and the context of manufacturing, the space of manufacturing, 
that is something that's that's not that's not um, very easily to find. Mm. Um, so yeah, it, it is a challenge. I, I do believe it is a challenge to to find people. The industry is also very small in South Africa. Mm. Um, we're, we're a handful of engineers that play in this automation space. Yet alone having still capability to develop something on top of that. Mm. Um, everybody knows everybody as well. Uh, so yeah, it is quite challenging to get the right person with the right skills to to impart on such a mm. such a such a topic. Um, other thing that I might also want to mention, and I think um, Graham kind of mentioned it, if you're an entrepreneur, and you want to go into this thing. Is obviously a key thing was also you know to keep your team lean, right? Mm. Um, don't try and explode to now all of a sudden to try and get marketing people on board exactly because you're starting out this company. Yeah. And I think that was also a very smart move is to say, you know what, I'm gonna I'm gonna focus on the software development. Make sure that the product that I'm delivering yes. is of great value. And then let the marketing and the distribution fall onto an, another company or another umbrella so that you can keep your focus on mm. keeping a lean startup yeah. going forward. And then really just embracing the, or making sure that the product is, is of great value. Focusing on the quality. I exactly. Mean, the, the, yeah. As the saying goes, you don't necessarily have to be first, but you have to be the best. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah. and one thing that we found is that it's very, it's, it's easier, I wouldn't say it's easy, but it's easier teaching someone how to develop than to teach someone process knowledge. Yes. Yeah. And I think yeah. that's, that's key is process knowledge you get with experience, you get it from sitting on a site understanding the, the process and how the information flow through this process. Um, and not, so what we typically look at is we look at people with process or domain knowledge mm. and development can be can be taught mm. kind of on top of that. Yeah. So. Yeah, and I think to add to what, what Lenny's saying is when we go out and actively recruit, we actually look for engineers, mm-hmm. whether they're mechanical, I'm, I'm actually a mechanical engineer, whether they're electrical, computer, uh, maybe a, a mixture, uh, electromechanical, m- mechatronic. Those are the kind of people that we actually look for. Mm. Um, I think our entire team is made up of degreed engineers, and 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 to to Lenny's point, we we find it much easier to teach an engineer to develop, mm. and if they've got industry experience in our domain which is the industrial automation space uh, or the mining space um, or the renewables, energy renewables um, or oil and gas. It's much easier to teach those experienced engineers mm. how, how to code. Mm. Their brains just get it. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and the way they structure the code or the design it, it just falls into place for their brains. Yes. You know, it, it just works. Naturally. It's a good fit. Yeah, naturally. And so when I talk to young, young, uh, maybe even school-going kids about their careers, I will often encourage them to look in the engineering path if they're interested in science. Um, and, and specifically, the combination of an electronic and a mechanical. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's 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 definitely. It seems like a niche that has become super important. Uh, just looking at the manufacturing space today in the manufacturing world, mm. definitely. And, and it feels a little bit. Maybe I'm wrong. It, d- it definitely feels like there's a little bit of a, a skills gap there, um, generally in South Africa. And I, and I think skills gap is probably a, a bit of a general term. In many ways, the skills gap that many people refer to when they talk skills gap is something that we created as an industry. 
you know, you expect a young engineer to walk onto a site and because there, there is so many different solutions and offers and, 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 and technologies at that site, you almost expect them to be proficient and be experienced with all of them. Um, you know, because that, that's just how we've done those sites and, and what, how those sites have evolved. And it's actually very difficult finding those, those people today. Yes, um, yes yeah. we do struggle. Yeah. Um, and, and often, often what we will do, we typically don't make use of recruitment companies because Interesting. we prefer to have some kind of a relationship with those engineers beforehand. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's, that's typically how, and then the word of mouth, obviously, that we might be looking and, and someone will reply. Um, what is the thinking of engineers? I, I, I call them techies, engineers, my favorite people by far in, a, <laughs> in, a, in an office environment. It's always, it's always the, the part of the office where you'll get the most banter from, the most laughter from. Love working with, with, with engineers and techies. What, what does it look like working with a team of potentially 80% ADHD individuals? And uh, you, you're obviously very fortunate coming from South African breweries. I think at that time, South African breweries had a, had a phenomenal culture. Um, I'm not sure what that looks like today under, under ABM Dev being a much lar larger global organization, but the culture at SAB at that time was phenomenal. Yeah. Um, I think they, they had achieved a, a number of best, uh, best employer awards at the time. Um, starting a new company, bringing a bunch of techies, techies on board. How do you keep everybody together, aligned, on board, focused on the same thing? What does that look like? Is that easy? <laughs> You know, I think with engineers, it's a little bit easier. We, like Lenny said earlier, we started with a core bunch of engineers and we've expanded as we've needed to. Um, and only very recently did we bring in a marketing person. And I can tell you almost immediately, the decibel level in the office went up three or four times <laughs> when the marketing person came in. <laughs> so, so it with with a bunch of engineers it's actually okay um, yes. i think what you will find is generally everyone's got pretty strong opinions um, in terms of of direction and strategy but we make it work we make it work and i think that that actually brings a lot of strength to the the path that we take mm. with with mm. with our products it's a very good point i, I think in many ways you can't you can't expect the team to slow down because you want to lead because you're expecting them to create and to be innovative. So you can't expect them to subdue that because you want to lead and, 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 you know, go with your vision. You want them to do that naturally. Yeah. Uh, while at the same time, keeping in mind that you are productizing something, um, which in itself is, is, is must be a massive challenge to productize something with version controls and mm -hmm. documentation and, and all of those elements that I think very often people don't think about when they, when they think about the very romantic notion of starting a new company. Yeah. And especially in the tech space, there's a lot of that, those sort of things that they don't consider. And, and not, not, just, not just that aspect of it. I mean, we're talking about a software product that you're putting in the industrial space and, and Graham mentioned about it, there's so many different verticals in the industrial automation. There's oil and gas, there's food and beef, there's, there's mining, there's, you know, material handling. 
Now you also have to cater for a, a product that's generic across the entire kind of vertical yes. space. Yes. Um, so yeah, it is, it is quite challenging to also now create something that's, that's generic enough that will fit for each and every one of those industries' information needs at the end of the day. Mm. And the other thing that we find quite tricky is the future-proofing of functionality. Mm. And uh, I think we have learned our lesson one or two times in the past where we've m made a decision too quickly and we've put something in and it doesn't quite work and now we have to maintain that forever. Mm. So it's taught us uh, by no means did we have a good idea of what we were doing in the beginning in terms of productizing something? And we've, we've kind of stumbled along in the beginning and we've found our way. Um, and we've had to, we've had to up our, our internal processes, our documentation. It's been a huge learning curve for the, for the whole team. Um, I want to quickly ask you about, um, I, I think Lenny, you mentioned to me that we have a, um, there, there's some North American scope uh, in terms of, of, of further growth. Uh, obviously, well-established product, good install base, uh, good customers supporting the community built around flow. What are, what are the, some of the future plans? I mean, we, we, uh, I know that North America is definitely a market that you are already in, very much in, involved already. Uh, what are the future plans for Flow? Where to next? Yeah, so we've, we've been very fortunate in Africa. Um, as I mentioned, we've had quite a few companies and they've actually expanded into Africa or they've had facilities in Africa. Um, and so what that's, what that's provided us is kind of a springboard mm. into other markets. It's given us enough revenue to start exploring other markets. Um, and so what we decided to do probably two or three years ago was start investigating the U.S. market, mm. specifically the U.S. market because of its size, because of its industrial capacity, its manufacturing capacity, uh, renewable energies is, is massive in the, in the US. Um, and, and what we did was we started up effectively a sales office, sales and support mm. office, um, actually in Austin, Texas. Yeah. Um, I was going to ask about that because you obviously don't want to, you know, if you have a core development team, you don't want to split that core development team. You know, it's 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 quite. I would imagine it's quite crucial for that team to work together and 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 operate as a unit. And especially now with lockdown, it's made it, I suppose, even more challenging to mm. for that team to work together. You, you typically don't want to split the core development team. So it's actually an interesting question because I never thought we could until lockdown. Interesting. And this last four months, where we've been working from home exclusively, mm. we've had to make it work. And I've actually found that it's worked very well. Mm. It's, it's forced us to be a little bit more structured. Um, we've had to use the tools that are available to us that we can see each other, that we can whiteboard ideas with each other. And it's actually worked and it's changed my mind. It actually has um, made me think we could potentially split the team, the development team, because we do have some of the team who's very interested in, in moving to the US. Yeah, for sure. Um, and we have some members of the team are happy to stay um, 
in South Africa mm. and continue. So we want to be able to provide those opportunities for, for, our, for our, our team members mm. um, and, and we'll see how it goes. Um, but yeah, coming back to the, to the US market, um, a large market, the right industries that we can feed English speaking. And at the moment, the flow information platform, the configuration environment, it's, it's all English. Mm. Um, so it would be difficult for us to move into uh, South America. A lot of Europe would be difficult. Mm. Um, so we have focused on the US and part of our development pipeline is to make it multi-language, uh, which would then allow us to start expanding into other markets as well. Yeah, I think the the more English speaking areas of Europe would be would be good. Uh, the UK, obviously. Um, so there's opportunity for us to to look there. Uh, Australia, New Zealand, absolutely are opportunities for us to expand. But I think what we will probably do is we will use our hub in Texas to distribute to those other other areas. Texas, lovely place. So Graham, maybe one one question I have on that is, obviously you've got great traction in in Africa. In, in some large multi-site kind of organizations that's also global organizations um, and for me as an engineer marketing is a black is like a black box of tricks and and rabbits you pull a rabbit out of the hat so for me marketing is this no, i think I, sometimes you pull the head out of the rabbit yeah something like that. Uh, i've got great respect for marketing people but my question that i have is do you think that that the information challenges we have in Africa, obviously we've got we've got our own set of challenges, especially around utilities management, etc. Um, do you think it is is the same in, in potential other other spaces? Do you think the need for information changes uh, potentially, like in the in the U.S. market? Um, and is, is it at that point where you kind of realize, listen, we probably need to start doing our own little marketing activities to understand that market a bit better? Yeah. Um, yeah. So just maybe a little bit of feedback on, on that, what your yeah. thoughts is on that. So I think certainly in Africa, resources are absolutely scarce. And, and, and so the drive or the demand for a product like Flow is, is naturally there because it helps people see the information uh, and try and improve their efficiencies, reduce their waste, reduce their uh, usages of resources, water, electricity, etc. What we've what we've gone over to the U.S. assuming is that we're going to see the same thing there, and we haven't. Um, we've seen that because there's there's more abundance of of resources, mm. the demand for a tool like Flow is not quite the same. But I'm optimistic that that's going to change. Mm. I think we are going to see a, a, a higher demand for for products like Flow because resources are getting more expensive, uh, they're getting more scarce. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely think we, and, and we've actually embarked on some marketing activities, um, which will explore the US a bit more for us and to give us a bit more insight. So absolutely, Lenny. Yeah, we're, we're on that path, it's early days, uh, but yes. And I think on that point, I mean, we've mentioned it right at the beginning of the call that information is becoming it's becoming a commodity. It's almost like, you know, mm. you, you can buy it, right? Yeah. I mean, Facebook is buying your information and selling it to whoever, but I don't want to go into that. Mm. Um, but I think, yeah, I think information in the manufacturing space, I mean, we've been talking about big data and what big data can bring for, yeah. for a long time. Now. It's, a, it's a topic that, that's been around for quite a while. 
Um, but I do feel that we're in the right time, especially now with lockdown as well, where the need for quality information is, is more critical than ever. Absolutely. And that information becomes becomes a commodity. It becomes valuable. It becomes actual dollars. It becomes rands and cents. It becomes something that's tangible that you can now actually use to determine return on investments of pieces of equipment and, yeah. and what you are doing every day from a, as Graham said, try yeah. to reduce your waste and everything. Um, so yeah, I think Graham, in that in that sense, information is becoming more and more prevalent in the manufacturing space. What, what does that look like? So I mean, in the manufacturing and in this world of ours, where how does that flow of information look like? It's collected, it's collated, it's contextualized, it's provided. What is that for some of us that maybe are, some of the listeners on the podcast that's not that familiar with mm. with what that looks like and the systems that are involved? Can we do like maybe a quick two minute recap mm. of, sure. of what that looks like? So, so I guess there's there's a number of places, systems, devices that are generating data. So edge devices, they are generating data. Uh, PLCs that are controlling systems, uh, batching systems that are controlling systems. They are all generating tons and tons of data all the time. Um, and, and so what we do typically is we make use of, uh, a, I'll use a generic term, a historian. Now, what a historian is, is a, a purpose-built time series data capturer. So it takes that data that's been generated by the edge devices or the PLCs and whatever, and it starts storing that at very high resolution. So sometimes milliseconds. Um, and, and what we do with Flow is we, we take that high resolution data and we perform aggregations on it. So for example, we might take a time-weighted average for a hour, and that gives us one data point that is meaningful to somebody up the chain that needs to make a decision, um, but it's distilled from maybe 10 million data points for that hour, for example. Sorry, not 10 million, maybe 10,000 data points for, for that hour. Now we started with a, with a, a very well-known historian, which is the, the Wonderware historian, incredibly popular, very powerful historian. Um, and we built Flow in a modular kind of structure framework, which allowed us to very easily and very quickly spin up new connectors. And as soon as we moved across to, to the US, we started seeing other historians, other data sources, um, and, and we struck up some relationships with these guys. So one of them was Canary Labs. Mm. They produce an incredible historian, mm. uh, the Canary historian. And we very quickly were able to create a native connector that pulls the data from the, from the Canary historian. Mm. Um, and, and, and to this day, we've got a fantastic relationship with them. The, the other one that comes to mind is Ignition. Um, Ignition is a fairly new company in the, in the process control and scale world. Mm. And they have a historian as well. Um, and we were able to, again, spin up a data collector yeah. for their historian. So that ability to very quickly and easily connect to multiple different disparate data sources is quite key. In, in terms of the progression of the, of the product. I Absolutely. I think, yeah, I'd, I'd go as far as to say that's, that's kind of our magic source. Mm. You know, that's what's given us the ability to collate data from disparate data sources so quickly. Mm. Um, and, and I can't take credit for that because 
one of our developers who built this framework um, started this thinking and this process quite a quite a long time ago, mm. and and all credit to him for 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 taking taking that route. Yeah, um, it's been fundamental to to the growth of Flow. Mm. Okay, fantastic. Um, any advice for um, young entrepreneurs, young developers? Um, again, we've we've had these incredible success stories of, of tech startups in South Africa. Um, I think of companies like Skynamo, and you know, over the years, there's been some some phenomenal tech startups. It's, it seems like the South African engineering community um, has developed a knack for for delivering these companies. Any any advice for any young entrepreneurs, young people in our industry, specifically young engineers? based on your experience and background? Yeah, I mentioned it earlier. I think for me, the, the biggest one is to have the right partners. I think as long as you've got, even if it's just one partner, you can share the load because it is quite daunting getting started. Um, the ability to just bounce ideas off somebody um, who, who's got skin in the game with you because it's not just maybe your parent or a friend who's giving you advice, <laughs> who doesn't have skin in the game. Yeah. You want to have that. I think that's an absolute fundamental. I, I certainly take my hat off to people who have started businesses on their own because it must be really hard. Mm. Um, so, so that's the first thing. I, and and um, the other thing is you've, and Lenny, you alluded to it earlier, you've got to really focus on your product. Um, you've got to marry what your product does to the demand of potential customers. And you've got to just stick it out. You've got to, you've got to get it in at a customer. You've got to try it. You've got to use that customer. So it's maybe not the right way to say it, but you've got to build a relationship with your customer that they are happy that you are testing new functionality and providing them mm. just pushing it a little bit every single time mm. so that you eventually are able to then start sharing that new functionality with other customers mm. so keep on pushing the boundaries in your product a little bit at a time and and build the relationship with your customer that that they do have some patience with you mm. um, obviously also acknowledging that they are investing in you um, so you've got to give them something. Focus on the product. Focus on on what you do well. The core. The core. Yeah. If you don't do marketing well, if you're not a natural salesperson, don't try and do that. Mm. Try and find somebody who can partner with you that can do that part. Mm. Um, uh, I'm an engineer, and I love getting my hands stuck into the code and actually designing. And mm. I'm not a marketer. I'm not a seller. Um, so that's what I wake up to every morning. Mm. I wake up wanting to get out there and get a little bit more, push that product a little bit more. Mm. Um, and, and I suppose that's my passion. And, and I, I'm lucky that I have that and I can wake up wanting to work every day. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. That's flow. Um, definitely helping to bridge the gap between man and machine and, and playing information i suppose playing such a massive part in, in in just empowering people that work with the tech and helping them to improve processes and great story Graham. well done it's uh i love the i love the fact that uh this was brand new it's south african 
you have a young team of, of engineers on board and, and just a fantastic success story and, and from the sounds of things going global. So so well done. Benny? Perfect, yeah. Maybe very last very last notion. Um just a little bit on the future. Uh, Graham, what do you see is how's the future for information and information management? Quite um, Obviously, it's not going to... That's a tough question. It is a tough <laughs> question, sorry. Um, I think information is just, or, or data is just going to become more yeah. and more and more. I mean, we're seeing edge devices pushing data mm -hmm. with, with new protocols on the market. just makes it it's so much more bandwidth efficient. Um, it's it's, it's almost beyond information. I mean, it's it, getting it, to the predictive... Kind of a role. Mm, predictive. So, uh, what is the old saying? Uh, knowledge. Knowledge is knowing that a, a tomato is a is 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 a is a fruit. Yes. Uh, experience is knowing not to put it in a fruit salad. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> now we're getting to uh, to almost like the predictive phase of information, where all that stuff is a given now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's it's, it's going to be interesting. Great. Yeah. yeah. I think I think it's it's certainly underestimated the the complexity of transforming data into information mm. um, and I can only speak for our domain but there are a lot of proprietary data sources like an ignition historian like Canary historian and we we're able to connect into them and we're able to transform that inf that data into into something that can be used in terms of our future I think one of the Certainly, there's still some areas we need to get right in terms of transforming data even better and providing more context to our to our information. But I think a fundamental for flow and the future of flow is the collaboration component with other systems. Mm. So we've spoken about the collection of data. Mm. We're collaborating with many data sources. Exactly. Yeah, that's a term, yeah. But we don't see flow as a black box of information. We see it as open and we've gone to great lengths to actually make sure that that data can be shared or pushed out to other systems. Mm. And I think that is our next real big step is to expand the number of consumers of flow information, mm. uh, whether they are ERP systems, uh, machine learning mm. in the cloud, for example, uh, business intelligence tools that might be already standardized within a, within a customer um, and, and possibly even back to the real-time world. You know, if, you, if you're doing a fairly complex KPI calculation in flow, you can potentially push that straight back to the operators on their scalers. Mm. You know? So this collaboration between platforms, mm. I think, is, is the future of flow. Yeah, definitely. It's almost expected. Yeah. I can see it's becoming an expectation that it just naturally will work together. Yeah, good point. Yeah. Graham, thank you. I think it's also, sorry, yeah. The last thing, I think it's also expected that everybody should be able to have information right there where they are. Yeah, so at their fingertips, immediately exactly. available. So, yeah, the, the more you can share, um, the more visualization and the more knowledge everybody in an organization has around the information and what's available. Mm. Um, it does not have to be just certain people that look at this. It mm -hmm. must be shared, and I think it must be available to anybody in an organization to, to help them with their, their daily routines and daily lives. Yeah, certainly not a nice to have anymore. No, definitely yeah. not. Yeah. Awesome, good point. Graham, thank you very much for your time. It's awesome chatting thank to you, you and well done. Thank you, Lenny. Cool, That's, thanks. Yeah. Um, awesome. We look forward to seeing what, what Flow is going to deliver in the future, um, but great story so far. 
So that was Graham from uh, Flow Software. Um, again, if, you, if you're interested in being a guest on our podcast and chatting about all things manufacturing and, and operations and uh, again with a very specific South African lens, or if you have any questions for Graham or, or any other comments, suggestions, please send us uh, an email at podcast at element8.co.za. We're looking forward to your feedback and suggestions. Next week, Lenny, um, we, we're quite excited. We, we, we want to speak to somebody in the sort of at the cold face of, of manufacturing uh, and especially in the food and beef industry yes. and just trying to understand what the last few weeks have been like uh, and probably the immense pressure that those companies have been under. 100%, yeah. So next week we have, can we share? Not yet. Well, we can share. Uh, next week we've got François Teron. Um, he's an engineering manager at one of our uh, food and bev clients. And he's going to share a little bit around, especially what they've done in the food and beverage space, um, if there's anything that drastically that they had to change, especially now during lockdown and how they operate and how they how they utilize their information. So, yeah, very excited to have Francois on the call next week. Yeah, that, I mean, those folks must have been through some really challenging times the last few weeks. Yeah, margins in, in the food and bev industry, even before lockdown, was, was tight. So yeah, it must have, there must have been some some great. Uh, we talked about it last week. Out of out of despair comes great innovation. Yeah. So I'm sure they've got some great innovative innovative stuff that they've been doing uh, during this period to to make their processes even better. So yeah, looking forward to speak to Francois next week. Fantastic. So that's our guest for next week. Thank you for listening, Graham. Thank you again for joining us, and we'll see you on the next episode of the Human and Machine Podcast. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>